the Bible together. This is here at Village. Uh, good evening, everyone. Um, we're going to work through that part of the Bible together. I just need to flick this light on. Now I can see what I'm saying. Um, please do keep your Bible open there because we're going to work through that passage together and I'm going to ask God to help us as we do that. So I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Matthew's Gospel, the way it shows us Jesus. Thank you for the time tonight to work through this part together and I pray, Father, that as we do, you would open our minds and hearts to see who Jesus really is. By your Spirit, show us who he really is, that we might follow him. In his name we pray. Amen. Do you ever feel like you might be the bad guy? Stephen McAlpine, a year or so ago, put out a book, Being the Bad Guys. Uh, despite appearances, he's actually not a wizard. He's a pastor in Perth. And his book traces the movement in Aussie culture around perceptions of Christians. So long ago, Christians were the good guys, right? So even people who didn't love Jesus themselves, they respected the church for the good it did in society. Then over time, Christians were a lot less respected, seen more as dubious and irrelevant. Um, people thought things like science disproved the Bible long ago, its morality is outdated. But now, today, Christians have become the bad guys. Free sexual and gender expression is seen as the most important thing in life. And Christians are seen as the main opponents of that. See, not just irrelevant anymore. Now, actually dangerous to society, even evil. Uh, have you experienced any of that perception? I remember Rob, a workmate I was getting to know, we were in different teams, but we'd talk around the lifts and uh, at lunchtime. I knew he was gay, but then most of my friends at the time had different sexual ethics to me as a Christian. Uh, I didn't see an issue there, till one day I mentioned going to church. Immediately his face falls and, and we have this awkward lift ride of like complete silence and literally after that he never talked to me again. Now I'm guessing Rob was probably treated really badly by Christians in his past. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, I didn't get a chance to talk about it. But that's the kind of reaction Christians can get when we're considered the bad guys today. And it's interesting because that movement from good to dubious to bad, it's actually the same kind of movement we see in how Jesus is perceived as we move through Matthew's Gospel. So early on, Jesus heals people of disease and disability, proclaims the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's the time Israel longed for when God himself would reign on earth as in heaven and fix this world broken by sin and death. So, so early on, Jesus is good, right? People, everyone's streaming to him, coming to him. But then Jesus 
does all this stuff, which just seems so dubious, especially to the Pharisees, uh, the most respected religious leaders in Israel. Like, Jesus doesn't hang out with the Pharisees. He hangs out with, with people who don't even hide their sin. So they ask, well, is he a sinner like them? To the Pharisees especially, Jesus is dubious. Until we reach our passage tonight, where now they openly accuse him of being downright evil. So here's the gist. Uh, People bring Jesus a man who can't see or speak. Now, Jesus has already healed many others who can't see or speak, but this guy can't for a special reason. He has a demon. Jesus casts out the demon, evident in that the guy now... Well, not getting clicking. There we go. The guy now can see and speak. And everyone goes... Could this be the son of David? Uh, Could this be the descendant of King David a thousand years previous, the king uh, of God's long-awaited kingdom? And it's that reaction that then sparks off the Pharisees. There we go. Clearly, Jesus has power over demons. They can't deny that. But if they concede it's by God's power, then dubious Jesus is now legit again. Can't have that. So so what other power could it be? Well, if anyone other than God has power over demons, wouldn't it be Satan, the ruler of demons? That's how, for the Pharisees, Jesus moves from dubious to downright evil. But before we go any further, we probably need to say a little bit about just whether this story is at all plausible. If, like me, you've grown up in Western culture, haven't experienced much outside of that, you you probably find the whole idea of demons and possession implausible. So just three quick things about that. First... That, that Western view that spiritual forces uh, uh, don't exist, it actually makes us the odd ones out in the world. In many African cultures, Asian cultures, South American cultures, intelligent, educated people are keenly aware of spiritual forces at work, both for good and bad. It's actually narrow-minded if we decide what's real and what's not based just on our own narrow experience. Second, there's good reasons why spirits aren't visible in our culture as much as they are in many others. See, in the Bible, Satan's big aim is to separate us from God. And he has lots of ways at his disposal. So in spiritually aware cultures, he can do that through fear and intimidation, offering people spiritual power. But in materialistic cultures like Australia, it actually works way better to let people think this life is all there is. Uh, There's no heaven, no hell, spiritual forces. Just live your life your own way without God. If you think about it, Satan dominates Aussie culture more than many others 
precisely by working behind the scenes. Third, there is no way on earth Matthew, the writer of this gospel, would make up this story. Matthew wrote to commend Jesus, particularly to his fellow Jews. So he'd never make up that the most respected religious leaders in his own Jewish community seriously charge that Jesus works with the devil. And the Pharisees would never make that charge unless Jesus really did miracles they could not explain otherwise. Think about it like this. It's really hard to believe, but some people in this world actually don't like me. I know, I don't get it either. But still, as much as some people don't like me, no one has ever said the way Jeremy does his miracles is by the power of Satan. You know why? I ain't done no miracles. <laughs> this story is only here in Matthew's Gospel because the Pharisees undeniably said this and they only said this to try and explain the miracles Jesus undeniably did. There is no question this really happened. The only question is how can Jesus answer the charge that he did it by evil. Jesus answers with three arguments against their accusation, which in the end should help us uh, think about uh, Christians being the bad guys in our culture now. Then three warnings to the Pharisees if they continue what they're doing. Warnings we should all hear so that we can respond rightly to Jesus today. So, first argument. It actually makes no sense for Satan to oppose himself. Jesus is like, clearly I'm rescuing people from Satan, so why would Satan himself help me to do that? The Pharisees don't seem to have thought that through. Second argument. The Pharisees... Ah, there we go. The Pharisees have double standards. Apparently, they're happy to claim that some of their sons, people from their community, drive out demons by God's power, which just shows the hypocrisy that when Jesus does it, they say, oh, it must be by Satan. So finally, Jesus attacks their motivation. Their motivation is actually just to evade God's kingdom. You see, if they concede the obvious that Jesus drives out demons by God's spirit, then Jesus must be bringing God's kingdom. That means Jesus is king, not them. That means Jesus is in charge now, not them. They're actually not stupid enough to miss who Jesus is. They actually just don't like the implications. And actually, I think we should all empathize with that in that we all want to have charge of our own lives, don't we? Isn't that a scary thought that Jesus is the total Lord of everyone and everything? 
Still, they cannot deny that Jesus is the long-awaited king and saviour because Jesus says, how could I take people from Satan's dominion, the way I obviously am, unless I am the one who has tied up Satan? The hope for one who will finally beat Satan actually goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Satan, symbolised as a serpent, he, he stole humanity away from God. Adam and Eve uh, obeyed Satan, not the God who made them, the God who gave them everything. And, and all humanity since was then born in Satan's camp. But God tells the serpent from the start he won't win forever. A child from Eve will one day strike the serpent's head and bring humanity back to God. Israel held on to that hope, and, and now Jesus proves he is the one fulfilling it by the fact that he's casting out demons. The question is, how does Jesus tie up Satan so that he can plunder his house? Well, two ways. First, he resists temptation himself. Early on, Jesus is tempted by Satan, actually just like Adam and Eve in the garden. But unlike Adam and Eve, Jesus beats Satan. He stays faithful to his father. Shauna, sorry. <laughs> um, and Satan actually flees from Jesus. So Jesus himself isn't captured by Satan, but then he goes on to save us too. Matthew's Gospel continues the story all the way to when Jesus dies on the cross. And as the Apostle Paul puts it so forcefully, that's where Jesus fully triumphed over Satan and his forces. See, did you know the only thing Satan has over you and me is the way he's tempted us to sin against God? The, the, the Hebrew word satan just means prosecutor. The, the Greek word diabolos just means accuser. Satan's power over us is that we have all sinned against God, so Satan can rightly accuse us before God. But Jesus takes our sin debt, the, the punishment we deserve for our sins, and he nails it to the cross he dies in our place and Satan is completely disarmed. The prosecution loses its whole case against us. Like Satan can say to God about me. Satan can say, look at Jeremy. He is a disgusting sinner. The way he's lived his life ignoring you, the God who made him. The way he's ignored the needs of other people around him, people who are just as valuable as him. The way he hasn't just ignored them, he's even hurt them. If you are a good and holy God, there is no way you can have Jeremy in your kingdom. And now God can say back, yeah, in fact, Jeremy's even worse than you know, Satan. 
But what you seem to forget is that my son Jesus already died for all of Jeremy's sins. Satan, you've got nothing on Jeremy. Nothing. Do you see, because of Jesus, Satan is done. Which should give us a couple of takeaways for life now. First, if you're a Christian, we we probably should be asking whether perhaps we really are the bad guys that our society is saying we are. Mitchell and Webb have a sketch with uh, two Nazi SS officers. One can't understand why their caps have human skulls on them. As the other tries to to justify it, the the, the first guy goes, Hans, are we the baddies? If ever there were obvious baddies, it is Nazi SS officers, right? Still, it's funny to think that any group would be so self-reflective that they'd suddenly realise they're not the goodies they thought they were. Yet as Christians, we should seriously consider that. This is what I mean. When our culture calls us the bad guys, it's, it's easy to see ways that that's unfair. But a Christian response should start with considering how it might be fair. If we're accused, say, of excluding sexual minorities, let's take seriously that maybe we have. We, of all people, believe that we're sinners, right? Maybe that is one of the many ways we have sinned. But Jesus died to rescue us out of sin, which means we can actually be honest about that. We can actually turn to Jesus for forgiveness and for change. Second, notice, sorry, Shauna, I'll need that slide. (laughs) Notice Jesus' whole argument against being evil is actually based on his actions. See, he's doing good for people rescuing people from Satan. That's what shows he can't be in league with Satan. Jesus' own defence is his actions and our defence will have to be our actions too. actually reminds me of 1 Peter 2. Uh, Peter writes to Christians being slandered by their society as evildoers. And he says, your only chance to to prove those accusations wrong is by doing good. Uh, I saw this uh, in in action a couple of years ago when I started with Village Mosaic, our social support ministry. Mosaic was helping this guy Aaron with, with food and finding a place to live and he explains to me how he's escaping a domestic violence situation. Uh, his partner put him in hospital so he can't go back to live with him. 
And he says, I was a bit worried about coming to a church for help. Didn't know if you'd want to help someone like me. But before I can say anything, he says, turns out I didn't need to worry. See, Aaron started with the assumption, really common in our culture now, that that Christians are the bad guys, that we hate gay people. Terribly, some Christians really have done that. Of course, often it's just the fact that, you know, we we hold to the sexual ethics of Jesus and that's seen as hateful. But rather than explaining that, just the fact that we as a church care for all kinds of people, straight, gay, trans, everyone, that's actually a stronger defence than anything we could say with words. Our best defense against the charge of evil doing is going to be doing good just like the Jesus we follow. So, Jesus has argued he's not evil like the Pharisees say, and now he turns it round on them. In three warnings, he says they're exposing their own evil by what they say. He pleads with them to change course before it's too late. And tonight we should hear those warnings too. First warning, Jesus says, I'm gathering people out of Satan's kingdom into God's kingdom, right? So if you don't gather with me, You're the ones doing Satan's work. If you mislead people and scatter the people I'm gathering, there is someone here who's in league with the devil. It's you. Second warning. Jesus is bringing forgiveness of sins, every sin covered by his death on the cross, but when the Pharisees say the work Jesus does by the Spirit is actually by the devil... They blaspheme the spirit. They slander the spirit. And that can never be forgiven. Jesus is serious. Even blaspheming Jesus himself, the son of man, that can be forgiven. But blaspheming the spirit can't be. Why? Well, this is what I think he's saying. You can be completely wrong about Jesus himself. You could say he's just a moral teacher or a wacko or he didn't even exist. And all that can be forgiven. All that can be forgiven when the Spirit shows you the truth about Jesus. As you come to church, see the difference Jesus makes in our community here and read the Bible. The Spirit can use that to show you who Jesus really is. And once you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, all the most terrible things you've ever said about him are forgiven, covered by his death on the cross. But how could you ever come to that kind of forgiveness if the Spirit really shows you who Jesus is and still you decide to reject him. The spirit here is showing the Pharisees who Jesus really is and even that they call evil. 
The Spirit shows them Jesus, their only shot at forgiveness, and they reject it. If you decide that all water is poison, you are dooming yourself to die of thirst. If the Spirit is showing you who Jesus really is, do not reject that. Third and final warning. Jesus says a tree is known by its fruit in the same way the Pharisees' words, saying Jesus is evil, actually expose the evil of their own hearts. Which is why Jesus says, your words are the basis on which God judges you. Jesus here actually seems to hold out hope in these warnings that the Pharisees could change their words. They could still at this point admit that they're wrong, that Jesus doesn't work by the devil but by the spirit, that Jesus is the Lord and Saviour Israel's been waiting for, that the whole world needs. In which case, he says, they'll be acquitted, covered by the death of Jesus on the cross. But if they double down on their blasphemy against even the spirit... They have chosen condemnation. That choice faces us too. Acquittal or condemnation. All based on where you land on Jesus. Who do you say he is? A passage like this one tonight shows why there's actually only just a few options of who Jesus is. See, one option is that he really is the Lord. He says he is the long-awaited saviour who, who rescues us out of Satan's kingdom into his own kingdom by dying for our sins. Maybe he is that Lord. But if he's not, well, think about it. Given such huge claims, if he's not those, that what he claims... He can't be many other things. Like, like he can't be just a good moral teacher. If he claimed these things and it wasn't true, there's actually only two options. He knew it wasn't true, then he's an evil liar, just like the Pharisees say. Or he mistakenly thought it was true, in which case he's delusional, he's, he's a lunatic. The question for you then is, do you find either of those options compelling? As we've seen, Jesus showed he wasn't an evil liar by the good that he did for people. All Jesus' actions throughout his recorded life were always for the good of others, not for himself. Not the life of an evil liar. And Jesus would never have gained the followers he did, changed the world the way we know he did, uh, introduced the conflict with the Pharisees the way he did, if his power was all in his head. As sinful people, we are all naturally a bit scared of Jesus being Lord. We want to live life our own way without him like, like the Pharisees. So you can see why some people reach for the fourth option there. Saying Jesus 
never claimed to be Lord. That's just a legend his disciples made up later. The problem is, at least here in this story tonight, we've already seen why that can't be so. Matthew would never make up the accusation of Jesus working with Satan and his opponents would never have made that accusation if Jesus hadn't really done miracles they needed to explain away. Perhaps through Matthew's gospel tonight, the Spirit is showing you who Jesus really is. He is the Lord. He is your only hope of forgiveness and salvation. If you see that tonight, don't reject him. Embrace him while you can. I want to pray we all would. Heavenly Father, we must confess that there is a lot of the Pharisee in all of us. Scared of Jesus' claims to be Lord, desiring to live our life our own way without him. But Father, I pray that by your spirit you would help us to see who Jesus really is. That his lordship is something we should want because he rescues us from the dominion of darkness. He forgives our sins. He changes us to be like him. Father, help us to see Jesus as the one who died for us and therefore the one we actually want to serve. Father, I pray for each of us tonight that we would not resist you drawing us to Jesus, but that we would embrace him now. In his name we pray. Amen. We're going to respond by singing together. The band will come up.